When I was in middle school, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, which is humorous. And um, I was obsessed with Katie Couric. And this is, you know, the heyday of when she was on the Today Show. And I did a book report on her. My mom still has it. I mean, it's a beautiful 50-page cutout book report, photos, written, you know, the whole thing. That was Heidi Zack, co-founder and CEO of Third Love. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. Heidi co-founded Third Love along with her husband, Dave, and together they worked with broad designer Raelle Cohen to build a better bra company, one that actually cares about women. The more you talk with Heidi, the more you understand just how dedicated she is to helping women. She has a real passion for what she does, and you can bet that no matter what it is, she won't give up until she's done what she set out to do. When Heidi and Dave started Third Love back in 2013, they were pregnant, and since then they've had two kids, and Third Love has made over $100 million in revenue, which is pretty cool. I asked her, when she was a little girl, what did she want to be when she grew up, and did she imagine she'd run her own company? No, I mean, I was never that person who had a lemonade stand, who went around selling knives door to door, things like that. I think I had a much more traditional career path. I did banking out of college and consulting and went to business school and then eventually moved out to the West Coast. And so for me, what really changed actually the trajectory of what I was doing was coming out here and really interacting with other founders and just feeling the excitement of visiting a startup office and walking around and seeing people at their desks working really hard at 9 p.m. on something that sounds a little bit crazy. And I was like, this is so cool. People are doing things that are changing the world and shouldn't I be doing that as well? And so that was sort of the impetus to start something. Heidi was inspired to do something. It was just a question of what. She and her husband, Dave, both had demanding jobs. She worked for Google and he worked for Sequoia Capital. But once they got home at the end of a long day, they still found time late at night to spitball ideas until finally something stuck. One day I had gone to a Victoria's Secret store down near Mountain View, near Google's campus, to buy a bra. And I went in, did my usual thing, ended up with a bra that wasn't that great. And the perfumes and the smells and the velour and all of that. And I walked out of there, a woman in my early 30s, right? And I walk out of there with the pink bag and I take it and I stuff it into my backpack. And at that moment, I'm thinking to myself, why am I actually spending money at a brand and a company that I'm so embarrassed of that I'm stuffing it into my backpack? And I came home that day and I said to Dave, I have it, bras. And he stared at me blankly, of course. And I'm like, no, here, let me tell you all these things. And we started to do the research and, you know, really felt like this was a unique opportunity to create something radically different than what existed. The idea started to take shape. Heidi wanted Third Love to be a brand that was by women for women, to embrace a more progressive idea of femininity with a positive impact on women. In particular, she was thinking about her own young daughter. In the early days of Third Love, when we were pitching the company to investors at a seed stage, Victoria's Secret was at their peak, $30 billion market cap. But the issue with VS was really 
the lack of inclusivity, right? The fact of what are they doing in the world? Are they creating positive impact, positive energy? And is that a company where I want my daughter shopping with that type of model, this very tall, thin, feathered woman on a stage? And so we really said, by the time she's old enough to buy her first bra, can we create a better option for her? Can we create a brand that stands for confidence and being comfortable and showing beauty of all shapes and sizes and just a radically different way to think about buying those undergarments? And that was really the goal. Is there anything in just looking back that would give you a hint that indeed you were always meant to do this? I think for me in particular, I've always had a drive to be the best to succeed. Dave and I were sitting at our kitchen table day one after quitting our job, staring at each other like this, blankly, being like, now what do we do? And you play that forward. And, you know, as a founder, especially in the early days, but even today, it's so hard. And so I think the trait that I possess that makes me a good founder is that failure is not an option. You have to figure it out. You have to want to figure it out in the face of all odds. And that, I think, is first and foremost. What are the values that hold you together as a person of responsibility, a wife, a mom, the founder, CEO, all of that? Yeah, I think the most important thing to me is making the world a better place, both for today and the future, right? And so especially as I look at my kids and I think about the world we live in and sort of what my norm was growing up when I was in middle school and where I shopped, Victoria's Secret, and the world that was created, especially for young women, and I think about where we are today and where we need to go, where we must go to be successful as a society, all of that is a driving force for me at Third Love, what we do every day, and thinking about all the other young women out there and being a role model for them too. There's a fire in your belly that you have that it doesn't matter what it is, people would follow you. What is it about you that makes people want to follow you? I actually don't know. I know that people on my team have told me they're at Third Love because of me. I think I'm very real and I am who I am and I'm confident. I'm confident in myself as a person. I think that comes through. And I think with, as we've talked about, like humble confidence, people know that when you say something, you'll follow through. When you say something, you mean it. They know that you're fair. And so I think that kind of behavior is what builds trust. And then I think people do look at me and they're like, you're a little bit crazy. Like you work out like you're crazy and your your kids are crazy and your life is crazy and how do you do all this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I am a little bit crazy too. So I think there's that stability that I create. Of course, I've had self-doubt at many moments with decision-making and all kinds of personal and professional things. So not to say that I, I'm always 100% confident, but I'd say more often than not, I am. I'm confident in my abilities. I'm confident that... I'm going to eventually figure it out. And it's just something that I possess. And I think that that's really, really important. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is, but there's something about Heidi's humble confidence, her dependability, and her craziness that blends together to create something inspirational. As a founder, you realize that this inspirational quality carries a weight of responsibility with it. Everything you say, 
everything you do has impact. I asked Heidi to tell me her thoughts on that. First and foremost, there has to be an environment of trust. It's impossible for somebody to trust me if they don't know me and I don't know them. So this is super basic, but really getting to know the people that you work with on a personal level so you understand what's going on in their lives. So they feel like if something's happening in their personal life, they can tell you. And I've seen this go awry. It's like in the best case scenario, when somebody feels they can confide, they can say, look, my dad is really sick. I'm sorry, I'm like not on my game or whatever. But the worst thing that can happen is they feel like they can't tell you that, that you don't have that relationship. And so I think at Third Love, it's really been about how do we create an environment where we really trust each other, where we're a family and where people really get to know each other? Because without that, you can't even do anything else. That's just the basic level. And then from there, I think it's it's an honesty. I mean, we really try to have direct and honest conversations. Again, and I try to do this as well. Like I I recently at our another executive on site we were doing, I cried. I went to kick off the meeting and say something inspirational about 2020, and I looked around, and it was a small group, maybe seven or nine of us, and I started crying, and I just said, I'm so appreciative that I have all of you around the table, because if you guys weren't here, like we couldn't do this. It was interesting, because I was really embarrassed that I had cried, and everyone loved it, right? right? Because it was just really real, and I couldn't contain myself. And so I think that authenticity of... Just saying what comes to mind is important too. So there's a balance between being a real person and also being mindful of the fact that everything you say matters. Yeah, I think you're always walking a line because you as a founder know all, meaning you don't know the answer to everything, but you know every little thing. And sometimes you know things that you wish you didn't know. What I've found is that Each relationship I have is unique. So the kind of things I might share with one person may be slightly different than another. And so I think it's really about, again, those one-on-one relationships, understanding who you can go to. And there's a time and a place for certain messages. So when I was talking about crying and thankfulness for the leadership team, I wasn't crying because I was worried about the business. I think it really brought them along with the like, this is stressful and there's a lot of big things that we can do, but you know what? We can do it together Mm -hmm. and having that kind of real moment. But it is lonely. I mean, I think that is a part of it. There is no other job that is as lonely as that because there are very few people who can really understand what you're going through besides other founders. And then you walk around and Unless you know someone really well and they ask you how it's going, everyone always gives the same answer. It's great. Smile on face. Everything's perfect. And then you get to know some people. And for me, I think the network of other CEOs that I have become close with where I really can call them or talk to them. And then you realize that what you're going through isn't unique. It's the same story, different place, different moment in time. And I think there's a real benefit in in that because then you realize you aren't alone. Being a founder can be lonely. There are other founders, of course, and we've all faced similar challenges. If you have those relationships, you can empathize with each other, offer advice and a new perspective. So there is a solace, but at the end of the day, it's still you making the decisions. For Heidi, she finds that sense of responsibility energizing. I think one of the biggest things over the past year that's been a really big unlock for me as a leader is really this idea of ownership and control. By that I mean, 
it's very easy, and I've done this before, to say, this is happening in the world. This leader did this. This employee did this. And the world's crumbling or things are falling apart. Or you can look at a situation and reframe it and take ownership and not be a victim. And the idea of victim mentality versus what you control. And I think we all walk around the world at different moments blaming others and blaming situations. And I found you have so much more energy that can come from flipping that around and saying, what can I do to impact this? And what is in my power? And what can I do to move the needle? Because you know what? There's always something you can do. And every situation, there's always something you can do. So when you do that, that gives you the energy that can fuel you instead of bringing you down. And so that's something that I've really focused on. And one of the hardest things, I think, is helping other people see that, that by taking ownership, taking responsibility, not pointing fingers at everybody else gives you a tremendous energy and confidence. Yeah, it's interesting. I was meeting with somebody on my team the other week, and she just said to me, you know what? I'm not cut out for this. I'm not cut out to be a leader here. I looked at her and I said, is that you creating your own narrative or is that the truth? Because you can either walk around life saying you're not cut out for it, or you can twist that and say, I am cut out for this. I really called her out on it. And she actually later that day came up to me and she's like, wow, you rocked my world in that one-on-one. And I was like, because it was just a moment where I saw her doing what we've all done at moments in time, which is create a narrative because it's easier to blame stuff Mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know what? No, I have strength in my set of experiences in my journey. And that that makes me who I am. And that's why I'm going to succeed. It's not why I'm not going to succeed. It's why I'm going to succeed. Heidi called out her own employee and really challenged her to think differently. It was a kind of tough love. She wasn't afraid to speak so honestly. Made me think about how when you're a leader, being respected has to mean more than being liked. I was curious about the other qualities Heidi values. So I think the best kind of leaders are ones who will push people, who will ask the hard questions. One of the things I just said at our recent leadership offsite was it's really easy to say yes to somebody. It's really, really hard to say no. How often are we saying yes because it's easy and not the right thing to do? It takes more to say no, to explain why, to push back on somebody, to ask a lot of questions than to just be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So for people listening who think they might be a founder, like if you were to analyze how you think, what would you say? I like to take everything in and think on it. So I am not the kind of person who's going to react in the moment. I like to gather a lot enough information and then think on it and come back to it because I've realized over the years that the rash decisions or the decisions that I make really, really quickly, generally I wish I could have taken back. And so I think that's been a really, really big learning is that you think you know everything, but it's usually really good to sleep on it and then come back to it. Even something happened the other week at work, same thing. It was like just sleeping on it just changed the strategic direction we went as a company for something. And it's just really important to mull it over, to do enough due diligence and listen to others' perspectives that allows me to frame kind of the best decision at any moment in time. Again, it's not groupthink per se, because at the end of the day, as a founder, you have to make the decisions. And not everyone's going to agree with them, 
But I think by listening to different perspectives, you get to a much better outcome. That being said, there are moments where I will say like enough is enough now. Like now we're doing this right now. We're dropping everything. We're doing it today. But it's those moments that are really, really important and you have to figure out because when you make people do that, when you make your team drop everything, you have to be really, really sure it's the right decision and the right moment to get people to really focus. So having that balance is important. One of the things that we've done with our research, we've talked to a lot of founders and then of course working being one and then working with that for almost 30 years, it seems that there's a mindset that founders have. What are some of the qualities of the mindset of a founder? I think the first one is an irrational positivity. It's this idea that even though 50 people have told you why you can't do something, you're still going to prove them wrong and you know it. You know deep down that you're right. You're going to do this thing and it's completely irrational. It is. But there's something about that you can inspire others by having this slightly irrational point of view. And so I think that it's some ways like manifest destiny. I think you say it, you believe it, you do it, you achieve it. That is the founder mentality. To embrace that believe it, do it, achieve it mentality, you also have to really trust your intuition which seem to be a little at odds with Heidi's analytical approach of information gathering and sleeping on things. So I asked her how she balances those two distinct mindsets. When all else fails, always trust the gut and your gut instinct. And I think, again, this is something that I've learned over the years because there's a lot of really smart people who will come in and out of your life and offer you all kinds of data points and advice and ways at looking at a problem. And If really you're listening and you're like, something about this just doesn't seem quite right, you got to go with that. And so it's the balance there. But there's just moments. We all have them. I said to the team, if all else fails, trust your gut. Even if you don't know everything, when something doesn't seem right, it's not right. Dig in. Ask that question. Say no. Whatever it is, it's you got to listen to that. So you've trusted your gut. You pursued this idea, you got funding, and it's a success. So what keeps you up at night now? In the early days, we messed stuff up all the time, but it was somewhat insignificant because we were tiny. And these days, when something's going wrong, it impacts millions of people, millions of customers, it impacts our entire team. And so I worry all the time about making those big mistakes and making sure that we're trying to avoid them. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? You know what's interesting is I've grown into it. 100% in the early days, absolutely. I really wondered when I was even talking about the business, like I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Someone's going to totally suss this out that whatever I'm saying isn't, isn't accurate, isn't the right thing. And then I think over time I've just grown into the fact that I've built something big. We've built something impactful and more often than not made the right decision. And so now I think I really embrace it. I think today if I walk into a meeting or a room and I don't know anyone or that kind of thing, again, I feel much more confident in who I am and what I'm doing than I did in the early days. But that's been a a journey for me. That insecurity Heidi felt when she was first starting out is a challenging hurdle to face. There are a million what-if questions that can nag you. 
What if I made a mistake? What if I'm wrong? What if I'd done this instead of that? And it can be especially difficult when other people start expressing their doubt in your vision. When I called my friends in New York and told them I was quitting Google to start a bra company, they were like, you're crazy. Why are you quitting the best company out there that you could possibly work for to start a bra company? And I was like, because I'm super passionate about this. You know, I really, really think we can do something radically different and change the world. And they're like, oh, sure. I don't know. And then my parents, same thing. I called them. They were devastated in a not good way. There was another group, which was the people that I had met over two years in San Francisco. And when I emailed them or told them at Google I was leaving, everyone was like, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. How can I help? What can I do? Who can I introduce you to? It was such a different mentality. And I'm sure some of that's changed over the past eight years with the focus on entrepreneurship, even in the broader media. But yeah, it was remarkable, sort of the difference in reaction from groups. There are plenty of people out there who are wondering if they have the ability to be a founder. Do they have the passion, the energy, but they're nervous about that first step? There's the shadow of doubt and they don't know how to leave their Google. I asked Heidi, knowing her own journey, what would she say to these people? So the way I ended up making the decision to leave Google and start Third Love was really weighing what would happen if I didn't do it? So I think one thing I would definitely suggest is no matter what it is, if you think forward one year, three years, five years, and you don't try something new, if you don't do it, will you regret it? And will you live your life thinking, what if I would have done that thing? What if I would have tried it? And so I think that's one really important point to contemplate when you're thinking about starting something. The other point I would make is that if you don't develop thick skin and if you can't roll with it, you'll never succeed because being a founder is so challenging emotionally that you really need to be able to separate your personal mental state sometimes from the business. I think what's really important is that there's always going to be struggle, right? Struggle is part of creating something new and struggle is what creates amazing outcomes. And so if you're not comfortable with struggle and feeling uncomfortable, you don't want to be a founder. That is kind of what you do day in and day out. And I don't think that changes. I think the bigger you are, the more successful you are. It doesn't mean you struggle less. It just means you enjoy the struggle. At Third Love, I think what's really, really important is that I get energy, and I would say our entire, hopefully, company gets energy from solving problems. I mean, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. As a founder, no one presents the manual to you. I joke about this all the time. Early stage founders will say, well, what should I know? What did you learn in the early days? And I'm like, there is no manual. Mm -hmm. Even if I told you today all the things that happened to us in the first two to three years, for you as an individual, it's going to be totally different. So you better be able to see problems as challenges to be solved. And if you can unlock that, it never ends. I'm mm -hmm. constantly still solving challenges. <laughs> never ends. Never ends. Right. Okay. And you enjoy it. I love that. Yeah. 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 Right. It's really fun. If you weren't doing this particular company with your drive and passion, what do you think you'd be doing? When I was in middle school, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, which is humorous. I was obsessed with Katie Couric, and this is the heyday of when she was on the Today Show. And I did a book report on her, and it was, I still, my mom still has it. I mean, it's a beautiful 50-page cutout book report, photos, written, the whole thing. 
And what's been really cool today is that in our last round, she actually is an angel investor and I've become friends with her. And so it's really kind of this full circle moment and just saw her recently for dinner. And it's just almost like a pinch me moment that she's such a huge supporter of the company and to be with her in this different context. And also what's so cool about her, she's completely reinvented herself. And I think there's just so much power behind that that ties back to our company and our mission as well. It was a pleasure. And I can attest the most comfortable, powerful, uplifting, beautiful bras in the world. Thanks, Mo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fun. That was Heidi Zack, co-founder and CEO of Third Love. Seven years ago, she and her husband, Dave, set out to build a better bra and a better experience for women. After they teamed up with designer Raelle Cohen, Third Love created innovative designs using sizing and measurement data from millions of real women. So at their core, Third Love believes that every woman deserves to feel comfortable and confident. And to put their money where their mouth is, they've partnered with organizations like I Support the Girls, Souls for Souls, Good 360, and St. Anthony's. They've donated over $25 million of bras to help women. Next time on Think Like a Founder, I talk with Christian Almanar, founder of Intrinsic, which is now a net app company. He tells us about growing up in Spain with five older siblings, tricking computers and satellites to watch free soccer as a kid, and how his entrepreneurial spirit has brought him all over the world, including North Korea. I'm Maureen Taylor. This is Think Like a Founder. Thanks for listening. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Vara. This is Think Like a Founder.